Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here, your host today on Game Changers, and we are excited today about the topic we're going to be talking about. I have Rob Rosenberger, the CEO and founder of Black Dragon, on here and Rob has been on an episode before talked about some really great stuff including uh, you know being the the childhood entrepreneur that he is which I love I loved your story about watermelons last time and selling you know like thousands of watermelons that was a good one and uh, but for those who don't know Rob or haven't connected with him Rob why don't you take a minute tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do over there at Black Dragon Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back and uh, always look forward to opportunities to share more information about Black Dragon, especially on uh, your, your medium. So um, thank you again for the opportunity to be here. And a little bit about myself. Uh, so I think starting with today and working a little bit backward as to why it matters. So I am one of the co-founders and the CEO of Black Dragon. It is a first-of-its-kind uh, platform company in the GovCon federal industry for winning contracts. So it's, it's matchmaking, but it's also um, full outsourcing. It's taking advantage of the gig economy, and it's redefining, redefining the, uh, the industry of kind of pipeline businesses as they go to uh, pa- uh, platform businesses. So my background, uh, just in brevity, so I'm former military uh, during the Gulf War. I was a flyer in the Navy. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Thank you uh, for the reminder about my watermelon uh, upbringing. But I've also um, been formally trained and educated. I was a contracting officer with the CIA, and CIA put me on rotation to other organizations. So I had the advantage of being well-trained and and well-practiced in contracts and negotiations and dealing with contractors and contracts, et cetera. I later became a contractor. I left. um, I was special advisor to the to the Pentagon on acquisitions and contracts, which then I became a contractor where I had to win the contracts. I was trained on that and practice, et cetera. Eventually became a C-level for a mid-sized defense firm where winning was very, very important and it was very, very hard to do. And it was certainly hard to do consistently within the amount of resources and time that we were limited with. And then lastly, uh, in the a handful of years ago, I was hand-selected by uh, a congressman in the House of Representatives to be a special advisor. Um, I was basically kind of like a fellow where I advised 
several congressmen and committees, and I was able to also get a little bit of experience doing some advisory work on the Senate side as well. That all led and culminated to forming Black Dragon, and um, we are in our, we're a little over four years old now. Wow, that, that that's awesome. You know, we, we don't often get to talk to people who have such a diverse background. There's a lot of times people have a military background, they got out and then they started in the commercial world or whatever, or they started for a government contractor. But, you know, just the background that you've detailed here for us is not very common. So, you know, it, it's interesting to see the depth of experience that you have across all of these contracting realms to give you a, a better picture of what's going wrong and how to fix it. So like you said, and thus, you know, Black Dragon gets formed. So, you know, today what I wanted to talk about with you was crowdsourcing your way to a better win rate. Because when I talk to government contractors, the the complaint I hear all the time is about their win rate. You know, especially when, you know, we're at a conference, they'll say, hey, you know, I, I'm only winning like, you know, five or 10 percent or, you know, some some will give a higher number. But, you know, in your opinion, what have you seen as the average or or even the acceptable win rate for government contractors? Because I think some people say, well, it, it's an acceptable win rate if we're winning at least X much business. What, what do you see on that side? Well, thank you. Um, so win rate is a very subjective term, and it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, and it can change by who you ask and when you ask it. So not to be kind of uh, funny about that answer, the, the short answer would be win rates are obviously relevant because what really the win rate is telling us is how healthy is the organization. Mm -hmm. It also t gives you an indicator of how aggressive is that, that company with respect to their, their competitive market space. So depending on who you ask, I mean, one answer could be a low win rate with a healthy company is a good thing because they're going after a lot of work, but they re you know, they're only winning a smaller proportion of it. On the other side of the coin, a higher win rate is notable because we're more successful at winning uh, the things we go after. Uh, but the counter argument to that is, is, but you're not going after enough, right? You're right. not playing as aggressively as you probably could be for the, you know, the, the ROI, right? So your resources and your infrastructure and time, there's only 12 months in the year, and we know that all, not all of those months are equal with respect to the acquisition cycle, right? I mean, I believe about mm -hmm. a third of the, of the contracting dollars get allocated and spent within the last quarter every year, the fiscal quarter. Uh, so it's a grossly inefficient you know, sort of acquisition cycle to line up all that win rate as sort of an indicator of your success. So mm -hmm. what do we see? I think your question was... I'm just going to spitball because I, I don't know that I'm an authority on the subject, but I would just give an observation from my vantage point, which I think is a decent one. We see probably the most common a win rate that would, would probably carry through most conversations is somewhere in the teens, uh, you know, low teens for, for certain organizations, maybe higher teens for bigger organizations. That seems to be about the span of normal. Um, hmm. By comparison, uh, the Black Dragon model, and I believe there are reasons to explain this, by comparison, we've been double the normal industry win rate and sometimes as much as almost triple. And I believe that the, what 
win rate means from a Black Dragon perspective, again, it's a matter of success, right? We're trying to help clients win. That's our job. And we're partnering with them as opposed to being a vendor who's just saying, I'm here to support you. We have to win just as much as our client does for our right. model to work. So by virtue of kind of putting the right people on the right task for the right reasons and the right company, uh, again, at the right time, I believe that win rate is an indicator that we're certainly hitting the mark a lot better and more consistently than this sort of that wide subjective landscape that frankly can't do that sustain uh, year after year, as, as well as keep in mind the companies themselves are fluid. It is not common to see an organization, especially the bigger ones, keep the same people cycle after cycle or month after month or, or year after year. They're kaleidoscopically changing and interchanging. They're selling off. They're losing contracts where they were strong. They're gaining contracts through acquisitions. So even the bidders to, to try to assign some sort of a, a measure of success with a win rate, it gets really kind of... Uh, hard to dis you know to interpret because the organizations themselves are so dynamic. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that, and I'm also glad you mentioned about how win rate is so subjective. And and I do see that in in companies where you have company A, they're submitting thirty or forty proposals a month, which is a lot, you know, for for a bigger company, and and then you have companies that are submitting one or two a month. And it, it's always, anytime somebody tells me their win rate or conversion rate, whatever you want to call it, is extremely high, like anytime I hear, oh, we win, you know, 85, 90% of our contracts, I, uh, alarms always go off in my head. I'm like, so how many do you go after in a given period? <laughs> you know, and it's usually a really low number. And it's usually one of those right. things where, Oh, we only go after stuff that we absolutely 110% know we can win or it's a slam dunk because they've basically handed it to us and there's no competition. And my follow-up question is always, so revenue-wise, profit-wise, are you where you want to be? And they're like, oh, God, no. Oh, no way. Because, you know, if you're only going after a small number of contracts, even if you're winning, the odds are you're not getting to where you want to be. And and so That's even exactly if you're... Right. Even if you're hitting it out of the park on those few, you're going to struggle because your pipeline is so weak at the end of the day. So it's it is it's so subjective to say, well, that's that's the health measure of the company. But yet that is how a lot of times when I talk to these VPs of sales organizations or CEOs of, of smaller or mid-tier companies, that's one of the first things they say is our win rate, win rate is around X percent. And I, I think you're right, you know, in the teens, maybe the 20s. Uh, you know, for a lot of these folks and they're like, we just, we can't figure it out. And, you know, I, we were talking to somebody the other day and they were saying in the last 12 months, you know, we're shaking our head at why we just, we just can't seem to win a contract. So we've doubled our sales team, you know, and like, so you're just going to lose faster. And you're going to lose more, <laughs> you know, you know, so like, like that's not going to help you to have twice as many people who don't know what they're doing, you know, right. and, and it's, you know, and, and, and if somebody's listening today and go, oh, that's me, it's because that is not any one specific client or customer. I, I hear that answer a lot. A, a lot of times people think, you know, the, the way to dig out of the hole is let me just hire two, three, four more salespeople or whatever it may be. And that's going to dig me out of the hole. 
I can't right. tell you how many times I've heard that. I think we see another uh, a, a, a twist on that is we see this this mindset or concept in thinking that the more bids we do, right? It's it's a, it's a numbers game to in a way. For example, you know, and I'm not making light of, but let's just take a real estate agent by example. A local real estate agent in their in their locality believes the more listings I get. Numerically, it means the more probability I have of making more money or closing more deals because it is a numbers game. So getting more listings you know, is sort of the, the, the mm -hmm. precipice that the rest of it is going to sort of fall into place because of. But that's not a perfect theory because we all know the market could change and currency rates and you know, catastrophes and disasters. So there's a lot of other variables that are not getting factored into that thinking. Right. But it is sort of a, a way of thinking that, that we see companies do. Let's just bid more. Right. The downside is, and from our perspective is, there, and we mathematically do pipeline. Actually, one of our four services that we offer is called pipeline as a service. And it's a deliverable, but it's on a subscription basis. It's optional. But you kind of like software. You buy what you need and not what you don't. But we take a mathematical technology and analysis and modeling approach to winning. And what we do is, is all that math comes down to a, basically a quad chart. And on that quad chart on the y-axis is fit. How well do we believe this opportunity fits who you are as a company? And then the x-axis is, is winnability. So how winnable will this opportunity truly be for you? So to your point, it might be very winnable, but not a very good fit. It, and mm -hmm. so different aspects of where we mathematically map those opportunities on that quad chart could give you an indicator of why should you go after it in the first place. So if it's very good fit, but it's not very winnable, it's, it's obviously a strategic stretch, right? You, you need to win it because of the other things it can do for the health of your company and things you might be able to accomplish that you currently can't. The other is, is it could be very winnable, but a low fit, well, then that's more of a tactical play, right? It's a cash flow play. It's defending your market share so that the other guy doesn't have it. It's keeping your employees set with that customer so that somebody else doesn't have it because we know that it's a finite world and the government only has so many, time, you know, so many months and so many contracts to, to let. But where's the strategy? So prior to the pipeline as a service as an integrated product, we also sell the advising and the strategy component also as a subscription by deliverable that says, well, why should we be winning in the first place? What's the objective? And are we trying to be a cyber company? Well, what kind of cyber company are we trying to be, right? Are we a product this? Are we a tester that? Are we our butts and seats? And, and so the idea is, is to your point, it, win rate is sort of a very rolled up, uh, you know, waterline for a lot of companies, how they interpret it obviously varies widely. And what does it mean? Well, if, if your employment is based on win rate, well, then you're going to look at it completely different than if you're looking for a prime or a sub on an opportunity. Win rate will be a different component of your, of your decision making. So from a Black Dragon perspective, win rate to us is an indicator um, of trying to make sure that we're helping the right companies win the right deals mm. as opposed to uh, putting some sort of a trophy on the, on the shelf that we can brag about because that's not our objective. We don't bill by the hour. We only form deal teams that work on deals they think they, they have the prospect of helping the client win. 
um, and each individual has their own sort of background and, and motivation for doing that. And, you know, I think for, for people listening, whether you go and, and, and work with Rob and their company, Black Dragon, or you try to do this on your own, the, the big thing is understanding that there's a different model. And there's a different model than what you've been using. And when you really kind of peel this back and take a look, there, there's some key reasons why your win rate is not where it should be. And, you know, you're, you're talking about the fit, making sure it's the right fit and, you know, the other pieces that go in that quadrant. And I, and I think it's, it's understanding why you're not winning and then understanding what it takes, what you need. And you start listing a handful of things of the basically teach people how to improve this, you know, having the right people and all those kind of things. So tell me a little bit more, because, you know, we've we've talked a, a little bit about some of these reasons, but what are some of the other key reasons why you think people uh, have these lower win rates? Wow. Um, great question. So there could be a lot of reasons. I can just rattle off a few. Um, yeah. They're subject to, uh, to scrutiny, but my personal observation. So one reason for low win rates and and I'm just going to blurt it out and be candid. It, it is a human bias because largely pipelines are assembled and constructed and then kept by humans, and those humans tend to be, you know, in terms of a business development realm, it's where we're comfortable. It's what we know. It's where we've been, and 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 networks that we're, you know, we feel like we can be effective. So who can we call? Who can we talk to? So you'll watch the health and the pipeline of a company will be very very. Um, you know, the beta factor of assemblance will, will be tied to the people themselves that are in the roles of figuring out the pipeline. So by essence of bias, that is driving, if you will, a lot of the, the, the compass for where the company is, is, is trying to put its nose into the wind of where are they going. And then that is not necessarily mathematical with respect to the strategy. Was it winnable in the first place? Just because you were comfortable there and just because you were the former director and a former wife doesn't mean that from a company perspective, we were going to be very effective at winning against the longstanding competition. One of the discussions that we have on that, uh, and I, I speak in metaphors often, but the winnability factor is fit makes a lot of sense. Winnability gets a little murky. But the way I explained it previously was, is let's just use the example of Michael Phelps, this Olympic swimmer. You know, he's got all these amazing medals and accomplishments, and he's done what you know other swimmers have never been able to do. As, a, as an athlete, he's highly accomplished, and we give him that credit. And we look at all that he's done over his entire lifespan to get to that level of, of performance. So he's eaten right, he's trained and practiced, he's got the genetic makeup, his body was kind of custom designed for it, he's had great coaches, and yada, yada, yada. So I put that sort of metaphor in the place of a company. A company has done a long investment of itself to improve its processes, to hire the right people, to build the right quals, get the right certifications, do all the marketing and branding, but it comes down to winnability. If you were to take all that Michael Phelps is and what he's capable of doing, and you put him in my neighborhood swimming pool with 40 little rowdy boys jumping in and splashing and knocking each other around, all of his investment is not going to pay off for him compared to all those other kids because the winnability is just lower than, frankly, his investment that he should be at uh, performing at. 
Mm. So mathematically, he doesn't belong in that pool, if that makes mm. sense. Or at yeah, least no, all of sense. his investment, the ROI on what he basically has achieved and could be in the, in the neighborhood of winning, he's not going to capitalize on that investment in that particular um, circumstance. So what we're doing is math models that, that factor fit plus winability. And I think that with respect to your question, why is win rates, why are win rates low? I, I have a belief that there's a big component is winability. They're going after deals they were never going to win in the first place. Hmm. Hmm. No, that, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I see that happen a lot. And, you know, one of the things as you're talking about that and just, you know, the Michael Phelps example, I see a lot of people who look at at government contracting from from the perspective of being Michael Phelps and wanting to compete in the neighborhood swimming pool instead of at the Olympics where they're like, "Oh, we could win that. We could we could win the neighborhood swimming pool and it would be an easy win, but the the landscape is so competitive in the bigger pool." I don't know that I even want to play in that game. And I'm like, well, it, it but that's right where the money that is. Quadrant. Well, it <laughs> yeah. goes back to that quadrant, right? So, you know, high winnability, but uh, if it's not, if your fit is not sort of reaching a high level, um, then frankly, your company is not going to be transforming. Your company is going to get a little bit static, possibly mm-hmm. a rinse and repeat. And, and as long as the company stakeholders and the employees are happy there, all is well. But yep. we all know that business is constantly changing. What the government is buying is going to change from you know from year to year. Um, how they buy it is changing. I mean, I went to an industry event just this week where GSA, uh, one of the uh, stakeholders at GSA, was speaking, and they were talking about all the acquisition reform and the things that they plan to do, just as an agency that that is a big player in, in acquisition. So that said. If you're not constantly trying to up your game, so to speak, uh, then eventually you're not going to be in the game, and mm-hmm. because somebody else will. Yeah, we're we're always talking about if you're not growing, you're dying. And a lot of these companies, they they don't see that. They see that well, you know, this contract fell off, but this one came on board, and I'm like, yeah, but you're still at let's say ten million or twenty million dollars, whatever it is. You're still at that size. You're not breaking through to the next level. It means there's there's something wrong with your model. You know, it, you're not challenging yourself enough or whatever. The, the one of the things that I see a lot, which creates a high win rate initially for companies, is what you were talking about around that human bias. Where hey, I came out of the CIA. I know that organization. I know everybody there right now. We've got some great solutions that would, you know, fit that agency. You come out, you win a couple of contracts, you get really confident, but you can't repeat it anywhere. Like you, you can't repeat that success literally anywhere. And then, as you said, the organization starts to shift. Your client organization starts to shift, and as they start to shift, you're not winning anymore. And you wake up one day and you're not winning contracts. And That's I see that happen. Right. You know, the personal relationships, while they are always important, they will they will probably I, I can't picture a time when they won't be important, but how they're important is constantly changing, and the mm-hmm. effect that the relationships now basically carry through on who wins is really, really transformed, even just in the recent, say, five years. So an individual that may have had a lot of 
influence over an agency or understanding of just what the agency plans to do, how they plan to do it, who the competitors are, all of those dynamics are constantly changing, right? So even a couple of years from now, everything that you know and everybody that you know, they will be doing something different and they will be doing it a different way and they will not have the same resources today that they'll have then. And but, but you know, so many variables here are constantly mm -hmm. in flux. Therefore, the person, the individual, the single individual, while they are obviously we, we need people, um, their ability to influence the outcomes are changing radically compared to how we were able to really monetize them and use them in the past. Um, and, the, and those relationships don't last as long in terms mm. of the commanding effect that you can, you know, I know General so-and-so and I can get in the door and speak with so-and-so. Well, they're going to retire someday or they're going to get reassigned to a new assignment yeah. or their budget is going to get rearranged or, or who knows what. I mean, look at just in the, in the, the politics of it all right now. I mean, I, I am speaking a little bit, you know, in the future, but it's being heavily discussed and contemplated how to merge um, OMB with GSA. Well, think about the ramifications of that if you're a company and you invested in your people and your infrastructure and your processes on how to grow your business. Guess what? From the top down, everything is going to be different in a couple of years, no matter if this goes through or it doesn't go through. Right. Right. No, no, exactly. And, and I think, you know, to your point there with these people, yes, the relationships are always important. It's always evolving in, in different ways and budgets are evolving. You just, you just never know. And again, I, I think it's one of those things where a lot of times this happens mostly out of the gate for companies in that first three years where they go and they land a handful of clients. They get really comfortable with that. And then, you know, because what happens when you start a company is you have this explosive growth. You go from zero to whatever your revenue is. And even in year two, you're still you're, you're growing rapidly. But by year three, you're probably slowing down and starting to plateau the growth. And so how do we how do we increase that? How do we expand and, and keep it more shaped like a mountain instead of a plateau? And a huge part of that is expanding your pipeline, you know, not just sitting with this this group of comfortable clients that you have that could again turn on a dime like i see all the time where somebody will say you know this person unexpectedly retired this person got sick this person died you know i mean there's things like that that happen or you know they have something that changed in their life they you know their family had a kid or they adopted a kid or you know there was a death in you know, in their family and they decided to move and change careers. And all of a sudden, a huge chunk of your pipeline is gone. And, and this isn't just, you know, small companies. This happens to big companies right. where, oh, you know, your major way. client, yeah, your major client has a shift or, you know, that person who is, uh, you know, they've been in government for 15, 18 years, they're a lifer in government. All of a sudden they get hand plucked to go to the White House in the new administration. Boom. Well, what do you do now? I'll give you a tactical example. So as of June 5th, if, if my dates are correct, as of June 5th, so not that long ago, uh, no longer are government contracting officers required to write up a formal justification for why they are going to take a procurement to one of the big GWACs or um, uh, you know, the big vehicles like the Alliant, the Oasis, the Vets, or the Stars, etc. So from the G GSA, GWACs, and the COSP3s, 
NASA soup, et cetera, the contracting officers no longer have to explain or justify that the way they did before. So if you look at some of just the patterns, the transitions and the seismic shift of procurements that are now going to those big vehicles, that in its own right is changing sort of the competitive landscape of who's mm -hmm. now eligible. So just because you are the incumbent from last time, it is possible in a, you know, in a subjective sense that next time, whatever contracting officer has that decision-making authority, they may elect to take a, a previously awarded contract somewhere else and then move it to another venue with, which has a, a different landscape from a competitor sense. So an incumbent may not even be eligible to prime their own work again, and, and you see that all the time. Yeah. Smalls can't reprime their work, or a large can't reprime their work, et cetera. So it goes back to, which I believe you, you kind of, I think, appropriately titled this, which is crowdsourcing for win rates. So we don't have a static body of people that we try to just repurpose and, and pass resumes off by the hour. It is truly matchmaking and crowdsourcing to find that perfect combination of insight, knowledge, talent, competency, and motivation for that opportunity immediately. And so the, so the relationships still matter, but we need the relationships that are in place at this moment. Yeah, that, I think that's the big factor at this moment. Yeah, that that's such a big factor. And, you know, I was going to my next question was going to be. So why don't you bullet point three or four things that are going to help improve the win rate? And without doing I'm, I'm, you can still do that a little bit. But I think the number one there is the crowdsourcing piece, you know, being able to, as you just put it, I love the way you said that. Being able to identify who has a relationship right now with that organization, because it doesn't matter if you once worked for them. How long ago was that? Do you know the people that are there? Do you know the ins and out of that organization right now? And and you can't like for every deal that's on the table you can't say well it's this one individual because it's a different individual or team of individuals every single time you can't say well it's a contractor or this or that it, it, it can be a, di a totally different type of individual every single time and so being able to identify those key people person or people uh, is critical because you know one of the things we always talk about is if the first time you heard about the opportunity was the RFP, you've already lost. You're toast. Right. It's a distraction. Yeah, because the odds are you have zero relationship. And so if I were to say there were a silver bullet to this whole thing, to, to the better win rate, it's the crowdsourcing piece. I, I mean, you know, like, like you guys, I don't want to downplay, you know, the mathematics behind it, the, the strategy behind it. Those things are so important. But if you if you layer all that and then no one on the team has any relationship, it's going to be like crickets, right? I mean, that that's a huge part. You're gambling, and gambling, as we all know, hope is not a strategy. Right. Um, so you're exactly right. Um, so we in, in our form of crowdsourcing, we're not just trying to create billable people because our model is – is different, that we are not building by the hour just for employment of ourselves purpose. We are opportunists in a platform uh, opportunity where, um, you know, similar to other platforms, and there's a lot of them out there, 
where the users, the community of users, they're the assets. It's who they know, it's what mm. they know, and it's what they know how to do. And they're looking for opportunities. Where can I monetize that? Where can I capitalize right. on who I know at the right moment or at the right setting or the right you know, uh, timeline? And so by basically using a very different model than, than anyone else in the industry, this crowdsourcing matchmaking around the opportunities has been very, very effective. And I think that's why our win rates are, are where they have been. It's because, again, only the people that know how to win, they know that in insight, they have the, 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 the historical uh, understanding, the politics, perhaps, maybe they were in, that, in that, the throes of it, uh, maybe they're incumbents, former, you know, formerly, with no conflicts of interest, et cetera. But putting the right people on the job uh, and then basically allowing them to have the autonomy of the control of the outcome. And that is, is don't tell, you know, I believe there's a famous, uh, you know, social media meme around Steve Jobs. He said, you don't hire really smart people and then tell mm -hmm. them what to do, right? Yeah. You hire yeah. smart people so that they can do what they're, they're really smart at. And they can well, tell you case, what to do, yeah. In our case, we're not sort of all showing up to the customer and saying, okay, we're here. Now, now what do you want us to do? By yeah. contrast, we partner with them and said, we have to win as a group. Obviously, you're the client, so the contract will be yours to execute when we win. But our job is to make sure that you win and to basically fill any possible need that we all collectively find, uh, uh, you know, where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses, and when then we join you in a, in a risk-sharing uh, way. So we're fixed fee, uh, moderate fixed fee, plus an incentive. So we have to get it right. So the only people that would even come to that are the ones that have the confidence, the know-how, the understanding, mm -hmm. and the motivation to even pull it off in the first place. So you're not wasting your time with, frankly, somebody that just wants to log some hours uh, to get a paycheck. Yeah. No offense to everybody. I know that we, we all need our, our employment. It's a different approach to compensation. Right. Um, so I believe that crowdsourcing model is it's proving to be successful, and I believe it's going to continue to be more successful. Yeah, no, I, I can see that, you know, as the technology evolves, the ability to bring the right people together uh, is just going to get easier. And if you've got the systems in place on the back end, it, it's just going to make it all flow. Because, you know, when when I talk to people, they're like, so if I hire this person and just this one person, this one a client of ours one time said, if I just give you a, a, a bag of money is how he put it. If I just give you a bag of money, and I'm like, which conjures up all these wrong, wrong ideas, right? But if I just give you a bag of money, can you just bring me contracts? I'm like, no, that's not how it works. But if we bring the right people on board, you know, Didn't and Dan and, Snyder tried that with the Redskins. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's, he paid everybody and there yeah. were no wins. Yeah. And back the team didn't come together. Yeah. And back in the day that worked, you know, you could bribe people back in the day. Right. I'm sure there's still some I'm saying the, the foul language here of bribe. Right. But I'm, I'm sure there's some things that would be considered that. But, you know, the the whole point of having the right people on is not so that they go in whisper in the contracting officer's ear a handful of things and say, hey, pick this one, pick that one. That's not the point. The point is so they can give you the intelligence to shape your proposal, you know, to well, be able to ability, shape it the, and get it done. The ability to monitor, to capitalize on whatever the opportunity is that moment. So yeah. by example, in our crowdsourcing approach, um, we're dynamic. So we don't start off with a team and then it stays that team indefinitely because they're here for sort of 
the longevity of it. They're here for the purpose of making the client the winner. So it is very common for our teams to start off with a nucleus, a core of two or four people that really are, they know, they're, they're very familiar with the opportunity and they're, and they're incentivized to, to win. But then they kind of, the, you know, make a reference to a Brad Pitt movie, The Ocean's Eleven, right? They kind of, you know, need one more guy, then they need one more guy. But they, the, mm -hmm. every person has sort of a strategic complementary fit to the bigger team as a whole, and that's how these teams will form. And so every team is custom designed from the bottom up around the opportunity with respect to how well does the client fit it, because we don't assume every client fits the same opportunity right. the same way. So it's a customized team. Right. But and in terms of a speed, we've built, uh, we've seen massive RFPs very, very large, come to us in very short time frames, you know, it's coming out like in a week or coming out in a couple of days, which would normally under, under conventional circumstances be no bid all day long. Our discipline tells us we've missed it, we didn't, we didn't get in front of it long, you know, soon enough, and that is a common thing, and we understand that. However, with crowdsourcing and with an on-demand society, we've been able to radically compress timelines unlike anywhere else that I've ever seen it. We've seen complete teams of 20 to 30 people form in an hour around one deal, wow. and they all intimately knew that deal. Well, and, and, and what, that's the that, difference. And what they can do in an hour or in a day is radically, vastly different than what we would have done historically in a linear, sequential, pay a guy by the hour, by time. Right. He couldn't accomplish what these teams and crowdsourcing can do almost in, a, in an immediate sense. Right. Well, and, and that's the difference. You know, the, when you think about traditional companies approaching this on their own, and let's say I just saw the VA put out an opportunity. This is the first time I heard about it, but I'm excited because there's a lot of zeros on this thing. You know, because that's typically you talk about human bias. There's a lot of zeros. I'm super excited about this. I want to form a team. I know this thing is dropping in two weeks. Let's just say that, you know, because I got notified somehow it's going to drop in two weeks. I'm going to spend two weeks just trying to find one, maybe two partners that could make me competitive but don't necessarily even have intelligence on it that's what's going to happen because you're going to pick up the phone you may browse linkedin you're going to reach out to some people leave some voicemails they'll call you back in a day or two you know it's just a different game having the technology and the network behind it I so i totally agree and they get to pick themselves so it goes back to i think you had asked a, a bit ago about you know the three points or or whatever, I think one of the next points behind crowdsourcing is unwinnable. If companies were to simply stop going after unwinnable opportunities, if they kind of had a, a crystal ball that could tell them in a believable sense, this one is just, you know, it's the Michael Phelps problem, right? So mm -hmm. pound for pound, we're not going to be healthy if we go after this one, or we're kidding ourselves, etc. It, it's It's the winnability is getting now uh, factored in with respect to will a deal team of crowdsource black dragons come and pick you as the client because remember in our model we're client agnostic we're facilitating a match between the experts who come together as one team and then they're basically going to put their pay largely in the form of an incentive they have to win to get their full fee but they get to elect well which client do we feel like 
we're the most motivated to win four because if there is more than one client, then they have to pick because we can only go with one. That's our model. We're, we're exclusive. Right. So in the facilitating of that, it has been possible where a deal team will look at a very highly capable, very competent, very ca uh, qualified company and well-resourced and simply say, we don't want to win for you. We want to win for this other company by whatever reasons. And I'm not sort of saying why they make their decisions. I'm just saying they have the autonomy of doing it. So the next company now that has the rejection has a choice to make. They can bid without us and go forward and do it their own way, however they like, but we've kind of picked our path. The other is no bid. Well, that's a monetary decision as well. And then there's third, maybe you just keep your powder dry. If the market has spoken in, in, in this effect, that they're basically going to vote with their feet, they're putting their, their, you know, their money where their mouth is with somebody else, then maybe they, they as a collective know something I don't know, and mm -hmm. I'd be better off as a sub. Mm. Yeah, and so no, in that case, we've we've seen where very capable, high quality, potential prime bidders are reassessing the the sort of the feedback of the team picking another company, and simply saying, well, you know what? Uh, tell you what, we'll we'll not prime this one if we can be a sub on this deal with your prime that you are picking, because now everybody's P win goes up. And again, mm -hmm. it goes right back to what I said. It's the right companies and the right players bidding the right thing the right way. And I believe that is driving that win rate that we were talking about from a crowdsourcing perspective. Right. No, no, I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's where we have to take some of the human emotion, human ego, whatever you want to call it, out of the whole thing and take a step back and say, we want to win. We want to do the right thing. We don't want to win at all costs. And that's where I think a lot of these companies go wrong. Like we want to win, you know, it's beneath us to sub or that's not good enough for us or whatever it is. And they just, they get so much tunnel vision on how they have to, to do this that they miss the opportunity. You know, we, we talk about examples all the time where sometimes you'll give work to a sub or even to a prime in order just to expand your pipeline by building the relationship. And in a lot of times people can't see how valuable that is, how the give and take of it and the long game, because this is really a long game. You know, if you're going to go to Vegas, you know, like we were talking earlier in gambling, you've got to be thinking a little bit more long-term about it and how you're going to approach your strategy than, you know, I'm going to go in and put it all on double zero. You know, I mean, like that's not going to produce the win. And I, and I think, you know, to, to, to kind of leave it with that analogy there, I think a lot of these, uh, the failures in contracting is kind of like going up to the roulette wheel and literally going all in on double zero and going, I'm, I'm all in on one almost impossible, <laughs> you know, number here. And like, that's where we're going to put all our chips. And then when, you know, the roulette wheel stops and it doesn't land there, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I'm like, how did you not see the coming? You know, because that's what happens when you play that way. And, and it's just getting people to change their mindset about that. Because what if I could walk up to the roulette table and talk to the guy who's been standing there for four hours and say, 
you know, it has hit black this amount of time and that amount. Of time. Again, you're still playing the odds, but, you know, and get some intelligence from that person, you know, and, and, he, and then even ask the person who's running the game, how should I play this? How do you play the game? You know, and now you're starting to crowdsource the people right there at the table to figure out how do I play even if I'm not going to, you know, sit at the table for three hours and I'm only going to bet a few hundred bucks, how do I how do I come out of this with a positive experience and, right. and walk away with something? We see, too, uh, just an observation um, I'll throw in there, and that is we see the effect of budget and the effect of spending the, the BNP budget has a lot of... Um, you know, it has a lot of influence on the company's motivation for its pipeline and its pursuits. So bluebirds would never ever be pursued if there wasn't some sort of spark of, you know, aha. And in some cases, the aha is we have more budget than we, you know, we thought we would have, um, and we th they think they can basically budget their way into a, a win, which. I would simply make an argument that's not a very good strategy. Right. So to to try to buy as many bids with as few as dollars, that is not uh, a, a ferocity towards winning. That is that is really trying to be a budget manager and put as many hooks on the water with as small of a worm as you can afford. Right. Right. Well, right. unfortunately, if you don't use the right equipment, you're not going to catch the right fish. And frankly, if you're counting on catching the fish to feed your family, you need to make sure that you're taking this serious. And that is winning is you either give everything that you can to win within reason, uh, or frankly, you're playing the numbers game of trying to get more listings, uh, anticipating how all it's just going to fall out in your favor, meaning more bids will increase your odds of success. And, and mm -hmm. I'm afraid it doesn't translate that way. So we see a lot of people or companies backing into bids or bid decisions based on budget availability. And I really don't think that that is a very good um, uh, you know, compass to navigate by because it is invariably it's going to be beatable. Um, right. We're not saying you, you throw everything towards it, right? We're not saying you overspend, but we're also saying the underspend is, is deadly. It is a waste of your time, and, and it kills your, you know, the motivation and the morale of your people. So, you know, I mean, think about it in a military terms or in a professional sports setting. You know, you have to win, but you only have, you know, a, a small portion of what you need to get it done. But we're counting on you, right? Mm -hmm. Well, th there's not a sense of realism with that. And, and and only so long can the people put up with it from a morale perspective because they'll they'll either just give up on the field or they'll leave. Right. Um, and now or you'll have really, to fire them. Really in a big trouble. Yeah, you know, the, the other thing is you have to fire them. You know, it's one of those things, if you're not winning enough, everything suffers. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day that was like, oh, well, we just keep adding the amount of, of um, proposals we're going after. And I'm like, do you understand what you're doing to the team? Because every loss is personal. Every single one. Now, some people, they just, they go to work, they write their piece, they do whatever, and it doesn't bother them. But that is not most people, especially people who write anything for a living. It's yeah. very personal. And every time you lose, the team just, it, it just, it's so disheartening 
to lose. And, you know, my, my daughter was on a volleyball team this year and they were, they were getting beat all the time. And my daughter is always used to winning all the time. And she just started to get to where she hated being on the team. And it's, and that's what happens with your employees. You start to hate being on the team. You look for other jobs, other opportunities, or you're not winning. And guess what? You got to downsize the team and you're not going to win that way either. So, you know, going after it with the, the, the right budget is is a big deal if you're gonna go you got to go into a certain extent and i think you know to me that's one of those things where like say say i was working with with your company rob where if, if you're getting feedback that says we need to do more to win this you need to listen to that because you're not going to get that feedback unless you need to hear it and that, that's a that's a really big factor you know so pay attention so to i that. think one of the testimony if i could thread on that if you don't mind and sure. one of the differentiators about black dragon that i'm very proud of and 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 it it's been very very uh, it's proving successful and that is back to the crowdsourcing and the winability and the mathematics and the modeling all those things have a, a relevant aspect but at the end of the day, to the health of the company, right? I mean, this is really why we're here. We're here for their success. So not only should they not be bidding unwinnable deals, right? So just stop bidding most of the unwinnable deals would have a tremendous uplift on the health of their organization because it now helps them put more energy and focus on the winnable deals as they should be. So that's one positive sort of benefit there. The two is the crowdsourcing, right people at the, you know, in immediate notice. I think that's another way that we add value. But, but I believe for the health and the longevity of these companies to grow. So to stay static is one thing, but to grow is radically another. And to grow, I believe that the, the company of tomorrow that we'll be complimenting and, and lauding over they will have won more opportunities and more revenue and better fitting opportunities than they've done in the past. And they will keep doing that level of bigger and better and more growth in a sort of a, a, a stair step or linear or maybe exponential way. But how do you do that? So resources are fixed. We're not doing pipe dreams here. So the, the model that we use, as I said, with on-demand services, fixed-price services. Instead of hiring people by the hour, you now hire for the outcomes. It is radically more affordable. It's more agile. It's very, very timely. So the people are still doing the work. We're doing the work, Black Dragon. The clients are simply saying what it is they need accomplished. Um, but and you know, I make the uh, the analogy of having your taxes prepared. We all have to file taxes, but I don't have to be a tax expert to do my tax filing. I just have to make sure I file my taxes. But I can go into an H&R Block or you know any other of these providers online, type in my profile, electronically keyboard in my my credit card information, pick next Thursday as a deliverable date, upload my files. And then I'm good. I have no idea mm -hmm. who they're going to pick. I don't know how many hours they're going to work on it. I, I just don't know, and I frankly don't care, because right. I know next Thursday I'm going to get an email that says, click here to download your, your files that are ready to be submitted. And we, corporate big, you know, the, the vendor, are backing the quality of the deliverable that we've now prepared for you. And if there's any problems, obviously we stand behind it and we'll correct it. So Black Dragon has taken this productization approach 
to winning, the full spectrum of winning, so that now it is buy what you need as you need it, but it's a very high-quality product and it's executable mm -hmm. right away. And by doing that, it's become a force multiplier to the clients. And so where the, the health and the growth comes in, our clients can now bid two, five, who knows, maybe 8x more opportunities a year, but they're not bidding things that were unwinnable, so the low P-win plays are kind of going away, but they're now getting a lot more bang for their buck going after the right opportunities, but because of this sort of affordability, they can do uh, a higher multiple of those opportunities in the same year with the same persons and the same proposal center and the same everything. We're just getting more mileage and more bang for their investment buck that they've already made. Yeah, and, and that's so important. You know, you use the word force multiplier and that oftentimes when people are seeking out consultants, you know, they seek out consultants for everything under the sun. This is a consultant area that they would speak, uh, seek out. You know, that's a big thing. They're looking for expertise. They're looking for that advice, but they're looking for that force multiplier that's going to help them stretch and expand that buck and make it go farther. And so I'm going to do something I don't normally do. I'm actually going to close up with a final thought here. And my final thought is I've talked with you a little bit about this. I understand the value of this. I think if anybody is interested in learning how this model, this crowdsource model can help them expand their pipeline, we've kind of touched on it a little bit here, but there's more to that. If they'd like to know how they can expand their pipeline through this model, I'm going to have them reach out to you because I think we could talk for hours. You and I getting on here is, is kind of dangerous. We, we talk the same language so well. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. Maybe we'll do a podcast solely about expanding your pipeline through crowdsourcing. But I think if anybody wants to know about anything we've talked about today or expanding your pipeline through this model, reach out to Rob. You know, let him walk you through how they work with folks and how they can help you expand your pipeline. Because I think that's a powerful piece that we just don't have enough time to cover today. And I think it's it's a big thing. The other the other point there that I was going to make was you've talked about it a couple of times is the unwinnable piece. And I think a lot of people listening say, I never want to go after something that's unwinnable, but I don't know how to identify what's unwinnable and focus on what is winnable. And I think that's another point there where if you don't understand that reach out to rob let them show you uh where you're going wrong with going after the unwinnable stuff and i think that that would be really cool a anything i i missed there rob no that was a great plug thank you no um, so yeah everything is available uh preliminary thank you again uh our website should be very informative about most of these aspects. Uh, we are constantly pushing new material out on social media. LinkedIn is one of our you know, flavors of choice. We do speak at events. Um, I believe uh, you're doing some publishing and writing. We would love to the opportunity to make contributions to that uh, where you're talking about this topic in a larger scale. Um, so our website can be a sort of the starting point. And if we have questions that we can address from there, we look forward to that. Yep. And you'll be able to find the website right on uh, right below this episode. So thank you for coming on today, Rob. I really appreciate it and look forward to having you on again soon. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Before we take off today, I want to ask everyone a simple question. Are you feeling stuck in your government business? Do you feel like you should be winning a lot more contracts, but just can't figure out how to 
bust through to the next level? Do you want to accelerate your results and hit your goals faster? Does that describe you at all? If so, I have a very special offer for all of our listeners today. Visit us at rsmfederal.com slash breakthrough coaching, where you can schedule your very own business breakthrough session with me. You're going to walk away from the session with three things, a copy of the award-winning government sales manual, at least three strategies to supercharge your business and some specific answers to your biggest challenges that are out there. Now, normally these sessions run about $495, but for a limited time for our podcast listeners only, you can schedule this session at no cost to you. So that's zero cost to schedule a session with me. Simply visit rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. And you'll be able to fill out an application. So scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, fill out an application that'll come directly to me. Then I'll reach out to you. We'll get our, our session scheduled and we'll walk through some of the challenges that you're having, whether it's you know how to grow the business, your goal setting, um, specific challenges you're having in government. This doesn't have to be just about specific to growing any business, but you're going to walk away from the session, not only understanding how to approach the government from a better perspective, but you're going to walk away with a lot of confidence on what you need to do, what next steps you need to take to supercharge your government business so you can take the next several months, the next several years to a whole new level. So again, visit us at rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. You can uh, get an overview of what Breakthrough Coaching is all about. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the application that'll come to me, and then I'll schedule your session for you. And last but not least, let me take a moment here. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.